is a great honour to welcome to the stage Roger Penrose. How are you? Okay, thanks. I was hearing, um, in fact, that prior to mathematics, you were drawn to medicine. Yes, well, that was a long time ago. <laughs> um, you see, both my parents were medical, and uh, I was the second of three sons. And uh, they'd given up on my older brother, who was obviously going to do physics or something. And uh, they'd given up on my younger brother, who was... Uh, well, he was mainly interested in chess. That was what he s excelled in. And uh, I was uh, considered to be the one who was going to do medicine. And secretly, I was going to be a brain surgeon, but right. I didn't let on. That was, that was my interest <laughs> then. Uh, Why that, particularly? I, don't, I suppose the workings of this thing up there was mm. quite intriguing for me. But, mm. but uh, I, I think they just, just wanted me to join them in the medical profession. But then you see, there was an occasion when... I mean, my father also was very interested in mathematics. And he had a lot of interests, um, mathematics being one of them. And uh, I learned a lot of that subject from him. Mm. And also from my older brother. But uh, there was an occasion, I think, when I was about 16 or so, mm. when, when we each had to go up and see the headmaster and uh, as I was walking to the headmaster, I was going to be a doctor. And then he said, what subjects do you want to do in your final two years? And I said, I'd like to do biology, chemistry, and mathematics. And he said, no, you can't do that combination. In those, I mean, you know, these, <coughs> these were, this was a long time ago. Well, in fact, I, j I only just realized, in fact, so it's 70 years ago, you're 85. Is that uh, right? I'm 85 now, yeah, mm. yeah. That was a while back, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I didn't want to lose the maths. So, right. so I said uh, physics, chemistry, and mathematics. And when I got home, my parents were furious. <laughs> I'd, I'd, they thought I'd been keeping bad company. They <laughs> <laughs> do nuclear physics or something, which was which was bad thing to think about in those days with atomic bombs and all that. Uh, so right. that wasn't what I did though. <laughs> but also, there was a sense um, th that I heard that there was something about maths was. Um, almost a, a, a retreat or an advance into a world that was ordered, away from yeah. family squabbles and... There were some of those, yes. <laughs> hmm. Yes, well, there was... I remember particularly, there was a time when uh, both my brothers were in the... I think they were both entering the British Chess Championship. They were both at one time, yes. And my father was entering some other thing. And then my mother wanted to in enter the British Ladies' Chess Championship. And my father was absolutely furious. He just, there were arguments every morning and every night. <laughs> it was just terrible. And she finally withdrew, which was a great shame, I thought. But anyway, there were these, these uh, disputes going on at one time. And, th and I think that's right. Uh, mathematics was a place to retreat where everything was nice and ordered and made sense and that kind of thing, yeah. <laughs> I just Not like people. <laughs> not like people, no, <laughs> yes, quite. Yes. Absolutely. Well, in that, so the nice orderedness of mathematics, and just to think about that a bit, is mathematics a map of the world, i.e., there's a shape there, it looks like a square, I'll call it a square, or is it something real 
out there in the world that we then find? Well, I certainly, I mean, that's the sort of platonic view, which I certainly hold to. And I think you find people who study mathematics, they usually do think it's out there and it's a world you're exploring. And, and it, it's hard to see how it could be otherwise because the truths are out there and you find them and it's, it's not up to you which ones are true and which are false. It's, it's an absolute thing out there. But then I think you're asking a different question and that has to do with its role in the physical world. Mm. And uh, <coughs> you see, I have this diagram which I sometimes use in my books of three worlds. Mm. One of them is the world of mathematics that goes at the top. I'll put it this way around so it's the people can see it. <laughs> and then there's the world which I usually put down here, the physical world, and then there's a world over here which is the world of our mentality. So mm. that's the world of consciousness, our feelings mm. and so on. Mm. And each one is related to the one next to it in a sort of cyclic way. So it's a small part of the world of mathematics which has to do with the workings of the physical world. You see, if you look at any journal, pure mathematical journal, you'll see almost everything in there has, has virtually nothing whatsoever to do with the physical world. Whereas there's just that part which happens to be the right part of the mathematical world, which seems to be governing the physical world. And the correlations, well, the, it predicts, It's extraordinarily it? precise, really. When you get it right, it's incredibly precise. And so if we get it wrong, it's either because the theory's wrong, yeah. or, well, well the the only that. <laughs> yes, that's yes. right. Yes. But then you see it goes on. There's only a small part of the, world, of the physical world which seems to have this conscious experience. <laughs> And that seems to be um, human brains, <laughs> well, whatever it is. And, uh, and I certainly don't think it's restricted to humans. Mm. Um, I don't know how far down, but I certainly think that um, many mammals, birds also, I would say, um, seem to have conscious experience, as mm. far as I can make out. And we might come back to consciousness, yeah. but I just wondered, um, thinking a bit about this um, way in which our theories finesse and enlarge, I guess, our view of the universe, truthfully. So if I go back and think about Euclidean geometry, for instance, mm. those truths remain true even today. Well, you see, you have two aspects to this. Certainly the truths of Euclidean geometry are eternal. They're true, just as true now as they ever were. Mm. But the question is whether that Euclidean geometry, how does that fit in with the world we know? I mean, if you, you can draw straight lines and you can, you can make flat planes <laughs> and you can um, draw pictures which agree with this Euclidean geometry to an extremely precise degree, <laughs> but not quite exactly. Right. And that's <coughs> the thing. You've got the world of mathematics, which is eternal, and then the physical world and the relationship between those worlds is a very subtle and, and difficult thing to... And we have very good approximations. Euclidean geometry is one of them. When you say not quite exactly, though, so in Euclidean geometry, if I were to think of a definition of a line, an ideal line, mm. it would be something completely without breadth, yeah? Well, you see, if you say that, you say, okay, but what does that mean physically? Yes, you see? quite. Because if you draw a line, it's... It's, it's breadth. <laughs> It's got breadth, and, and you can, it's an ideal, yes. an ideal concept. And the ideal concept is a mathematical concept. Right. But then you say, to what extent does it agree with the 
geometry of the world. You could say light rays, you know, yeah. do they, if you measure the angles between, make a triangle out of light rays, do those angles actually add up to 180, 180. degrees? Yes. <laughs> Doomed. <laughs> I, obviously, I knew it was 180. Um, right. But just <laughs> my daughter's somewhere in the audience thinking, oh, God. So the, um, moving on then from Euclid mm. to, well, in fact, moving on through, from Euclid through Newton to Einstein. Sure. Quickly. <laughs> that widening of perspective and changing of perspective. So Newton said things about gravity, yeah. which Einstein then either elaborated on or completely revamped? Well, it's, it's never... You see, you can say Newton's theory is a limit of Einstein's theory. When, when, I mean, all these theories, when they're really good, like Newton's theory, or like Euclidean geometry, yeah. I mean, that's in, this, in this sense, it is a physical theory because it really does agree very closely with, with what you measure. Um, so those theories still exist as limiting cases of the, of the improved theory. So they're still, they're still there. They're still predictive. They're, yeah. yeah. I mean, most things you use Newtonian theory. For yes. Even for, okay, for now, nowadays for satellites and things you do really need to go a bit beyond Newton's theory. But, but the idea they're overthrown isn't true. It's the advance, I we? think that's right. You, yes. It's wrong to think of it as overthrown. It's part of the, of, the, of the next theory. Well, just thinking about that then, so what did, New, what did Einstein say in, his, in, in the um, general theory of relativity about gravity that was different to what Newton, to a view we subscribed to then for a good while? Well, let's go back to something which is the same, you see. Even going back to Galileo, <laughs> you know, dropping to a big rock and a little rock, um, well, probably didn't drop it from the Leaning Tower, but imagine that. <laughs> then they fall together. Mm. And this means, this was the big thing that Einstein picked up on. He said, well, um, if, you, if you fall, somehow you don't feel the gravitational field. Mm. I mean, that was known to Galileo, it was known to Newton. So these, but the thing was, Einstein made that into a theory. That was the sort of uh, key point of, of saying, okay, we'll make a theory, in, because he'd already developed this special theory. And tell us about the special theory yeah. first. So this is 1905. <laughs> yes. Yep. Well, you see, special theory wasn't so unique to Einstein. There were a lot of people thinking about it. Yep. He, he understood the physics of, of it and made it a principle. Mm. This is uh, the idea, again, goes back to Galileo, uh, that, I mean, why don't we feel... See, if the Earth goes around the Sun, yep. why don't we feel it? You yep. see, because you think you're switching around at a great speed. And he pointed out, well, he had a nice example of a, on a boat when the you're travelling with yeah. a boat. And, and they don't feel that they're moving at all. Yeah. So the laws have to have this invariance under, that is the same. If you move with uniform motion, then uh, the physical laws are the same. So, that's so the reason we don't feel ourselves spinning around the Earth is because of the uniformity of the motion rather than the acceleration. Is that That's right? right. Okay. Yes. Well, you see, as long as it's uniform, you see, yeah. but then if it accelerates, then you do feel it. Yes, okay. But then Einstein pointed out, okay, yes, you feel something, but what you feel is just like a gravitational field. Mm. So you can be accelerating in, the, in your car or you're in a plane or something. You can be playing quite nearly as often in a plane. It's coming into land, you see, and, and, and if you don't feel much. You look out the window and say, oh, is the earth over there? <laughs> you know, it's all tilted and that sort of thing. <laughs> 
um, and you don't, you don't feel it. Mm. But you still feel a gravitational, you still feel a force, which could be gravity, or it could be just the acceleration. Okay. And the point is that they're the same. Okay. And so Einstein says, okay, as long as we bring in gravity, then you can still have accelerated motions, and the laws are still the same. It's just that there's a gravitational field to play with now. But this is this is that is this general relativity, or are we still on the special? Yeah, that's general. That's general. That's general. Yes, so yes. coming back to the special, what was what was what was what was this special theory of relativity saying about space-time and the well, speed of light? Well, you see, uh, people often say Einstein made it, made it four-dimensional. That's not quite correct. The person who did that was Minkowski. There was a, a Russian, um, German well, uh, mathematician who introduced this idea of formulating... I mean, Einstein had these sort of complicated equations that you, when you move this way and that way, you have to have one square roots of one minus c squared and so on, v squared over c squared. These complicated formula on the page, you see, well, what do they all mean? But the point was that Minkowski showed, oh, you can understand all these things if you think of the geometry as four-dimensional with a slight twist to it. So it's like the geometry of Euclid, but there is a sign change. Okay. It's just one little... Sign as in positive to negative. Yes. Yeah. Okay. It, and this means that the things don't. That one th things, the space relative to the time, you get a minus sign. Okay. But that's not a big difference. But what is it, it, the implications of it in terms of how we think of the universe? Is because people often think about relativity as saying actually there are no absolutes anymore. We can pretty much you know well, that's everything's bad, relative. Yes. Which is the wrong that was a mistake. I think Einstein regarded that as a mistake. The terminology, you see, it says oh well everything's all relative. Yeah. You see, but it's not. It's relative to the observer, though? Well, you to the measurer? Not really. You see, you think there is an absolute thing out there. Which is? Which is the space-time. Space time. Yeah. And that space-time is an absolute notion. And the fact that time measures are different, and it's, not, it's the fact you can measure it. Now, clocks are now so precise mm. that you can take a clock up on an aeroplane, bring it down again, and you see the time registered is not the same as it was on a clock. And on tell the me about that then. So space-time oh, yeah. now. So, so Einstein's telling us we've got an entity, a 4D entity called space-time, unifying space and time. We haven't got anywhere near the issue of this being curved yet or gravity. But okay, don't so think about the curve. Sticking, yes. on, <laughs> sticking on with the yes, special theory, you've right. got space-time, but time now is in fact it's altered it's by it's gravity. Like, you have to think of it as like a distance, you see. If you have... Think of ordinary space. Yep. You've got two points, yep. and you want to know, measure the distance between them. Yes. Well, if you take a wiggly line, you see, and you measure that distance, that's longer than yep. a straighter line, yep. you see. So the distance between these things depends on the path. Yep. Now, it's the same idea now, but with time. Yep. So you have this space-time, and I want to know the distance between two points. But distance now means the time. Yes. So I've got two, this point on the Earth, later time on the Earth here, you see. Yes. Now you can go from here to here, yep. or you can go take a long route and yep. come over there. Yep. And then you find that the clocks, as measured by the straight direct route, and the clock measured by the indirect route, won't agree. Yep. Because the measurement of time is now very much like the measurement of a distance, which depends on the path. And is that therefore this, this, this paradox that's touted, the twin paradox of the yeah. twin traveling <laughs> yes. at the speed of light, will age less yes, than a twin right. that yes, stays yes. on this planet. Well, you see, that, that's the sign again. <coughs> because in the case of ordinary Euclidean geometry, so you take two points, and what is the shortest path? The shortest path is the direct path. 
The other ones are longer. In the case of space-time, you say, what is the shortest in the sense of time? The shortest, well, the longest is the direct path. So the one on the Earth, who doesn't make a big trip, yep. that one is the one who experiences the greatest time. Yep. So you just have to think there's this sign change, but apart from that... But does that link, then, to the whole notion of space-time being curved? Does that then... Well, then the curve further? comes in later, you see. But it leads to that. It yes. Well, you see, Einstein wouldn't have had a hope of developing his general relativity had it not been for not just the mathematics of Minkowski, who realized that this was just a geometry of four dimensions. With yeah, a so it's Euclidean geometry in 4D. With a slight flip on that, yeah. that you have to bring yeah. that and the sign, the sign flip yeah. too. But apart from that, it's just Euclidean geometry. Mm. Now, in the century before, Gauss and Riemann, most particularly Riemann, was a German mathematician who developed the idea of curved spaces of high dimension. And if that mathematics hadn't been all there already, Einstein would have had no hope of developing his theory. Okay. But he had a he he wasn't he was a good mathematician, but not a great mathematician. He was okay, his like insights me. were insights were in physics. He really yeah. had a really profound understanding from the physics. The con conceptual conceptual yeah. ideas okay. and all that. Yeah. But he had to have a colleague um, uh, Marcel Grossman, who, yes. who went and studied all the works <laughs> of the ancient, well, only a century, yeah. well, it was only less than a century before at that time, uh, of the work of Riemann, and he found out Riemann and the Italian geometers who developed ideas later. So tell us about the curvature, then, of space-time and, and the implications yes. of that, and how we, in fact, even know that that's the case. Well, you, you can even see it now. So tell because me. Because there are, you can, if you look at distant galaxies. Mm. I mean, people with tel you know, you know, telescopes or the, the um, satellites mm. and things, and, and they, you can see distant galaxies, and in between, there may be <coughs> another galaxy or some body in between, and the mass of the one in between will distort the geometry, and so that the image of that very distant galaxy will be distorted, and you can see them stretched sometimes very much distorted, mm. through the, the curvature introduced by the intermediate one. Yes. And these are quite visual effects. You can see them. So it's been demonstrated. Absolutely. So you, the you demon that demonstration tells us that one... Well, so space-time is curved, that um, gravity, I guess, is... Or rather, mass is the c curves gravity upon space-time. But mass curves it, yes. Yeah. And light, even is bent by that it's gravity. Bent, yeah, yeah. And we've seen that. These we've effects are, are c completely... The galaxy, yeah. uh, but also the famous eclipse experiment. Yes, that was Eddington, original Eddington uh, that experiment. Was the f th so that was the first experiment, really, that yes. um, showed, proved yes. general relativity. That and what was, that? What, did that, what was that experiment? What did it show? Well, that, that was uh, an experiment during an eclipse. You had to have a... The idea was to see the effect, the distorting effect of the presence of the sun on the background star field. Yeah. And uh, this was just after the First World War, and Eddington was really keen on you know, getting people together again, in a sense, and Einstein being a German, and, and uh, his theory had nothing to do with the, um, the politics and everything like that. It was, the point was that this was cooperation <laughs> on, on scientific matters. <laughs> and so Eddington was very keen on having the tests done of Einstein's theory. So it was an eclipse. 
And yeah, there were two expeditions. One went to, to America somewhere, and but the one that was Eddington took part in was uh, w w the island of Principe, which is um, off off the coast of Africa. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and they managed to observe this eclipse of the <coughs> eclipse of the, the <coughs> excuse me eclipse of the sun by the moon. Yeah. And this, you needed the eclipse because otherwise you couldn't see the stars. Okay. That's the whole point. Yeah. So when the, when the the moon was in front of the sun and it got all dark, then you see the stars and you see look for the stars just nearby where the image of the sun would be, and these appear to be displaced outwards. And this is what was seen <laughs> because the the light ray gets bent round inwards and so therefore it appears the to image, be coming from over there. Yep. Therefore the image seems to be further out. Yep. And uh, he saw this effect. And there's still people argue about you know, whether the effect was really big enough and uh, whether errors and so on. But and even so. if that but was he true, did see it, there's yeah. plenty of other so gravitational waves, black holes. The gravitational waves now, it's been impressive. Just yeah. tell us about the gravitational waves, because everyone got very excited about them last year, <laughs> yes. and then nothing happened. Well, you see, this is, the, this is the great... It's been going on for a long time. Um, trying to build a detector of gravitational waves. I should say what they are. Yes. You see, electromagnetism, this is the theory of electricity and uh, light, so le electricity, magnetism, and, and light, which is due to Maxwell. Maxwell, great Scottish um, mathematical physicist, um, wrote down these equations for, for how um, electricity and magnetism interrelate with each other. And the thing is that if something is moving, then so a charged body is moving or accelerating, then the electric, electric field oscillates or will move, will, yeah, will oscillate, and then that will cause a field, a magnetic field to oscillate, and that causes electric field to oscillate, and it produces a wave. Mm. And that wave turns out to be light. Mm. So Maxwell realized that the speed of light came out right from his equations, mm. and this is amazing. Mm. Amazing discovery, mm. um, but gravity also has a similar effect, and uh, and it's moving around will radiate energy in the form of these waves. The biggest but source, is, but is the wave therefore? If we think of space-time as a as a fabric and of gravity, is it literally space-time rippling? Yes. Yeah. The gravitational wave is space-time rippling. Yes. Right. And uh, I was going to say that this, the, the solar system, this effect would be there, but the. But uh, the biggest effect in the solar system is Jupiter going around the sun, mm. and the amount of energy involved in that is about a 40-watt light bulb. So that's <laughs> pretty small. <laughs> so you have to have really big things to, set them. to, to, to send a sizable signal. And uh, Why is it only a 40-watt light bulb? Jupiter, well, because of the size of it. <laughs> because gravity is so... W you might think it's not so weak because you feel it, but that Earth is huge, you see. So... It needs that enormous Earth for us to be stuck to our chairs, if you like. Mm. Whereas you can you can pick up a piece of paper with a, an electric field or a magnet. You know, you can pull things up. It's far, far stronger. So those would produce gravitational waves, but for us to be to be able to detect them, we need a, we need what we've recently you experienced. Ne you need well, you they have this LIGO. There are a number of experiments around the planet. Um, the one that's been going on for longest is, th is this one called LIGO, which is in the United States. There are two uh, two places there. Um, but the idea is that you can detect the slight distortions of 
of, of space due to these gravitational waves, um, and they have a, I'm not quite sure how long these things are, but many, many kilometers in, in two directions, and you send light signals this way and signals that way, and when the wave hits, hits it, it gets slightly shortened and uh, and this effect can yeah. be so we can see we can we can yeah. perceive them. But the, them this, these experiments have been set up yeah. for a long time. And Waiting, and uh, just they've now seen I think three instances of what appear to be black holes going around each other and swallowing each other up. And this is a huge effect, not not the forty yes. watt black hole. Yes. This is this is a big effect. Yeah. And were the experiments set up because general relativity predicted for this? Yes. Right, so we've been waiting for them yes, for the better part of the century, last century, um, 100 years. Not that, well, I see, I, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I, I'm not sure exactly when I, I, I wrote a paper when, in which um, was not quite at the beginning of that. Period, okay. So. <laughs> but then, so moving us on at sort of, you know, yeah. the speed of light into quantum mechanics. Yes, yes. That doesn't necessarily, so quantum physics and quantum mechanics were almost... Um, th this didn't follow in some sequential way from relativity at mm. all. No. Did it? It's a, and it's a separate field of exploration. Yeah, that's right. Looking yeah. at the subatomic world, really, particularly. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, this came about from... Let's give a good example. Well, spectral lines. You see, uh, light... Um, if you heat a, p a metal in a flame, then it has a particular uh, color. Yeah. And that, uh, there are certain characteristic frequencies that uh, you get from materials. And these, how do you get these very specific frequencies? I mean, the idea that, that light is emitted because you have charged particle, you know, you have electrons going around the... Yeah. And change in energy cells, presumably. Yeah, but I mean, if it was classical, they would admit they would admit light. That's true, but well, let me give you another example. Uh, this was always a puzzle. But you could think of, say, the the electron going around the the proton, which makes a hydrogen atom. So you have proton here, electron going around it, and that's a hydrogen atom. Now, according to the classical Maxwell theory, as it goes around, it would radiate electromagnetic waves. <laughs> And it would then spiral into the nucleus. It would lose energy from the waves going out, and then it would spiral into the nucleus. And you wouldn't have a stable hydrogen atom. Okay. That isn't what happens. You have stage stable yeah. hydrogen atoms. And the, the spectral lines is another example of this sort of thing. You have very stable orbits, and they have a very specific energy. And when they go from one to another, there's a specific jump in the energy, and that has a very specific frequency. And this doesn't come out of classical physics. It's c incomprehensible. Right. From classical hence physics. Quanta hence looking for a theory to explain it. To expl a theory to explain that. So yes. whereas Einstein's theories of relativity, general relativity, made sense, they were coherent, and they predicted the black holes, gravitational well, waves, Well, you see, they separate things. The, the, black, the big things, if you like, the black holes, that comes out of general theory. Well, Einstein didn't like the idea. But the theories so. work, <laughs> don't they? The, yes. is, the theory predicts well for what happens yes. in the universe. Now and we see these things. But with quantum mechanics, we're struggling because we, I think, as I understand it, 
it's got a utility, so my computer wouldn't work without quantum mechanics, but it leaves us in a problematic place. Is that right? It is problematic. You see, quantum mechanics is often said, you know, it's the, it's the most wonderful theory ever and that it produces these incredible results, which is absolutely true, and that there is no experiment known which tells against quantum mechanics. Right. That's true, too. Right. The trouble is, the theory doesn't make sense. Because? <laughs> well, because it's self-inconsistent. Right. Now, this is the thing that people kind of struggle with. Right. You say, let me give you an example. Suppose you have a, a Geiger counter. Now, a Geiger counter is something which detects particles, yep. charged particles. So a charged particle comes along and it goes click. Yep. Okay? Now, according to quantum mechanics, according to the equation that governs how things evolve in quantum mechanics, the Schrodinger equation, wonderful equation. Is that the main equation for govern? For yeah, right. it's, it's okay. the equation which governs okay. the way things behave okay. in quantum mechanics. So according but to that equation? Yes. Yeah. According to this equation, the, the particle, charged particle, that maybe this detector is going to detect, isn't just on one track. It goes all sorts of different part places at once. This is the thing, that according to quantum mechanics, things can be in more than one place at once. And you get interference effects with two slits, and you say the particle has to be going through both slits at once. Strange idea. You have to involve that idea to make sense. Has that been observed, though? Yeah. Right. So the particle yeah. or the wave of light is seen in two places at the same time. Yeah, well, you don't see it in the two places. But you know it must have done. Yeah. You send the particle through a pair of slits, and you see interference effects which show that the two paths must have been felt out by that particle. It isn't just doing one track. So it's demonstrated. Yeah. These but things are rem uh, repeatedly <laughs> demonstrated. But then Schrodinger's um, felt that the inconsistent, so famously his cat. Well, let's not get uh, the cat okay. in a minute. We have to get to the cat. Okay, we have to get to the cat. But let's, let's um, talk about yeah. the, way, the way people use quantum mechanics okay. first. So your Geiger counter. Yep. Now that particle is spread out. Okay, that particle could be hitting the Geiger counter, it could be going over there. In a certain sense, it's doing those two things at once. Yet, when it hits the Geiger counter or doesn't, it's a click, it's one thing. So what Niels Bohr and Heisenberg decided, they said, well, you've got to treat this Geiger counter as a classical thing. So it does one thing or another. Whereas the particle is allowed to do all these things at once. Now, you see, that's an inconsistent thing, because that Geiger counter is also made out of particles. So why isn't it a quantum thing? How do we know time? it's not just a good enough measuring tool? Well, um, it doesn't, you've got a theory, and the question is, does the theory, um, whatever it is, the theory would say that is a quantum object, because everything is a quantum object, so the theory says. The trouble just is... Just it's made of quantum <laughs> objects doesn't mean it's a good enough measuring tool. Or does it? Well, look, you see, what they do is they basically say, okay, it's, it's, it's a practical thing. Right. You treat the particle according to Schrodinger's equation, yes. and you treat the detector as a classical object. Yes. And then you get good results. It's just that the results are probabilistic now. You say the particle doesn't do all these things at once. It might do this, it might do that, it might hit the Geiger counter, it might not. And it gives you a probability of it hitting it. But the universe, or, or the, the world that we experience it, arrives at one or the other. Well, Always. that's what we see. Yes. <laughs> now, you see, this is, you're puzzled by this because the it's same puzzled. reason everybody's puzzled <laughs> by that. 
And Schrodinger himself, you, you say the cat, yeah, Schrodinger himself introduced this idea. He said, let's not go into the details, but he said you can make a cat which is dead, and you don't make the cat, but you have a cat. <laughs> you have a cat, and you set up an experiment in which this cat is a dead and alive at the same time. Following and, that equation. And yeah. this is what Schrodinger's equation would tell you. Right. So he's saying, quote, you see, I'm not quote, he didn't, actually, he didn't say it in English anyway. He's saying, more or less, um, look, my equation says this cat is dead and alive at the same time. That's ridiculous. Therefore, there is something wrong with my equation. Mm. That is more or less what he was saying. Now, you see, most people, philosophers, physicists, say, no, 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 the Schrodinger's equation is so well confirmed that you've got to take it seriously, and therefore you believe that must, the cat must be dead and alive at the same time. Well, and disregard the reality of yes. yeah. Yes. So it's a paradox. Mm. I mean, that's a real paradox, not like the, the twin paradox, which is something we understand in the theory perfectly well. This is a real paradox. And the theory gives you nonsense. So implying the theory is incomplete. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what Einstein said. Mm -hmm. That's what Schrodinger said. That's what um, de Broglie said. And what you're saying. <laughs> that's what I said, but I'm putting the, these the, the big people who produced the theory in the first place. That's what Dirac said. Now, when I say Dirac, emphasize that, because he was the one who introduced the formalism, basically, that everybody uses now for quantum mechanics. So it's, it's his scheme of work. And, but he also said, in quotes, he was a very modest person, and you ha it's hard to find a good quote from him on this, but I have one in, in my recent book, so <laughs> and this is uh, just uh, saying, yeah, quantum mechanics is a provisional theory. We've got to get a better theory. And that's where we're at? Yeah. Okay. That's what I, you, you talk to most physicists, they won't say that. But it is true. It's where we're at, yeah? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I believe you. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> right, yeah. I am actually going to bring the lights up for some questions from the audience. Is that all right? Sure, of course. Okay.